The U.S. won, and that is great. Their second half was not great. Welcome to the TSS Quick Take Hot Take. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me tonight to do this Quick Take Hot Take is Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hello, Taylor. That was quite the game, Mm -hmm. question mark. I was very nervous. In my notes, I said, in that first minute goal from Shaq Moore, this could be a really fun game. This could be a really dull game. It might well finish 1-0. And here we are with the U.S. winning 1-0, beating Canada, topping the group, advancing to the next round of the Gold Cup, all good things. And for a little while, it seemed, I had it down as like one of the best performances uh, from a team under Burhalter or from a like Burhalter coaching performance. And then less so in the second half, for sure. I come away a little confused, I guess overall happy because of the result. Joe, how are you feeling after that first 90 minutes? Yeah, so I'm conflicted, and this is partially the nature of soccer, right? The result is great, and it's exactly what the U.S. needed. They were able to top the group, as you mentioned, Taylor, and that means they go on to play the runner-up of Group C, which is either going to be Jamaica or Costa Rica. But the real win here is that they don't play Mexico. They cannot play Mexico if Mexico win their group, and we'll find that out later on tonight. But they cannot play Mexico likely until the final of this tournament. So that's all good stuff. But man, the performance after the 30-minute mark, that's that's the distinction I want to make because I'm sure we're going to talk both now and then in our more detailed review later on this evening about what went wrong for the U.S. for the last 60 minutes of this game. The first 30, I thought were pretty good. The goal was excellent. It was such a great start to the game. The crowd was going crazy. Everything was awesome. Mm-hmm. And even the stretch after that, the U.S. stayed in control. They were pressing. Canada was not together at all in the first stages of this game. But then after that, the U.S. got pinned in and really struggled. So to answer the question that you actually asked me as to how I'm feeling, Taylor, I'm feeling conflicted because the result and the performance for most of this game didn't necessarily line up. Well, let's let's jump right to that 30-minute break then and maybe take take the bad first. Then we'll talk about the good. Then we'll call this one quits. Uh, Joe, for you, like, what was the big sort of – was there one big turning point? Were there a couple different things? What was the change from those first 30 to those final 60? So the changes I saw, and we'll go back in, in, into this in more detail, sure. is just the U.S. falling back into a low block. Because to my recollection, that didn't really happen for the first 25, 30 minutes. So certainly not for much nope. time. So then the U.S. get pinned back a little bit, which is fine. That's what's going to happen. Canada has the quality, even without Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, and even with a slightly rotated side for this game. They have the quality to pass the ball around a little bit. I'm not going to begrudge them of that. So then Canada gets on the ball, and the problem for the U.S. was they just couldn't get out. They could not break out of their own half, and this is the kind of stuff we see with international soccer sometimes, and even sides at a club level that sit deep. It's hard to balance defensive solidity where you want to be compact, you want to be close to your goal, it's hard to balance that with actual attacking danger and, and balancing, yeah. yes, we're going to get runners forward, but we're not going to leave ourselves exposed if we lose the ball or if, in this case, Canada continue to maintain possession. The U.S. really struggled with that balance, and they just weren't clean either on the ball. And the hold-up play from Zardes and, and Daryl DK I don't think was very good. And so there were a whole mess of problems at the end of that first half, but they all combined to make Canada look very dominant, even though they weren't creating a ton of super high-quality chances. I think a thing to pay that I'll pay attention to, at least in the rewatch, uh, when we're talking about that 30-minute switch, Joe, you said, I think, the U.S. falling back, and then you said the U.S. getting pinned back. And I'm not sure which one of those it was. Uh, I would welcome your thoughts, but I will be trying to see if that was the U.S. intentionally backing in and trying to invite Canada forward and looking to counter, or if it was the U.S. just losing that dominance, losing that that strength in their play, and then Canada growing into the game. Do you have immediate thoughts on that, or should we hold off for the rewatch? 
I think it was a, a case of the U.S. naturally falling back into that shape mm-hmm. just because Canada had won the ball and, and it made the most sense. Maybe they'd broken through a press or something like that. And the U.S. said, okay, that's fine. We can we can defend for a little bit. But then it became like, I don't know, this probably doesn't happen to many people, but a house guest that just won't leave and Canada just mm-hmm. kept staying and staying and staying. And the U.S. were thinking, oh, my goodness gracious, this is not at all what we'd planned. And then it was too late and they were pinned back. So I think it was a natural fallback into an unnatural pinned back. But yeah, we can go back and check that later. That's fair. Because I, I think you're absolutely right, though, that it was it was difficult to kind of find that balance or refine that balance, especially in the second half. Because if you're playing on the front foot and you're committing numbers forward and the United States were certainly doing that in those first 30 minutes with Sands stepping higher and that pushed the, the other central midfielders higher up. And it just seemed like a much more proactive, aggressive approach from the United States. Once you do sort of sit off a little bit more, like you can't just sit off but still be aggressive in in your sort of approach getting up the field. And I think if you're trying to thread that needle, it's really difficult to do, especially on the fly. And I think to your point, Joe, once you do sort of just say like, all right, we're going to set up deeper and then we're going to play with that same level of intensity. Well, now you've got more ground to cover to try to press, to try to put them under pressure. And then there are more gaps to be opened up. And I think the U.S. dealt with that in the second half by – really trying not to get stretched and let those gaps open, but but in trying to keep it a very disciplined 5-3-2, those three lines like in a row, they did then let those gaps open. And I think the United States, to your point, just keep continually trying to sort of play the same game as they were in the beginning, but not putting the same personnel in the same places, I think led to a lot of problems and potential opportunities. And man, some of the personnel, I think some of the yep. players tonight didn't have exceptional games. And one guy who's really easy to, to point to first defensively, because we're talking about the U.S. being back so much, is Jean-Luc Gabusio. And this is an area of his game that mm. is somewhat weak with SKC. And, and we saw little bits and pieces of him struggling to keep up with the game defensively, I think in both of the Gold Cup group stage games so far, but especially in little tiny moments against Martinique. Busio just wasn't really up for the task defensively. He was defending as at number six in the midfield three in that 5-3-2 defensive block, and he was getting pulled around. I know Matt Doyle posted a clip of it, and it was in the second half of one particular play Well, play when Samuel Piet, who's this number six for the, I was going to say Montreal Impact for CF Montreal, who's not a dribbly type of player. He's not Eric Williamson, but Piet just beats him on the dribble. And if you're Busio, that stuff can't happen. If you're the U.S., that stuff can't happen. The U.S. lost the duels battle in this game by two, which is not a huge gulf there. But you want to be winning those battles. You need to be stepping to pressure and actually win the ball. And in the second half, I saw the U.S. stepping to pressure a lot, but really failing to win the ball. And that hurts when you're playing a team like Canada who can sustain possession and then really make your life miserable for 45 minutes. And I think even there, we we kind of go back to to the... Uh, U.S. approach being aggressive at attacking versus sitting off because there were moments in the opening part of this game when Busio is is the like furthest up of that midfield three and is the one sort of stepping high. And when the U.S. is playing aggressively like that, it looks like, oh, he's leading the line. He's the one who's telling them, hey, we got to go. We got to move up. We got to advance. Once the United States isn't doing that, but Busio still is, it does then become, oh, is he getting dragged out of position? Is he still playing a certain way and the rest of the team isn't? And I think that's another one I'll be kind of keeping an eye on on the rewatch, just to see if that's 
a deliberate thing that he is still trying to be proactive and step out or if that's a thing that he is sort of being forced to do or that Canada are uh, relying on him to do to then open up space for other players because I, I will say I wasn't as focused on Busio's defensive display, but I have a lot of notes about where he seemed to be popping up. And to me, that's, that seems relevant. In one thing, this is more macro for the U.S.'s defensive structure. I think the 5-3-2 shape, because we never really talked about that, but this was a tactical wrinkle from Greg Berhalter to come out and defend in a 5-3-2 and to possess in a 4-4-2 diamond with James Sands as that flex pivot player, playing as a center center back and then playing as the six. That's not something we've ever seen with the U.S. before. We saw the 5-3-2 at the end of the Haiti game, but not with uh, a center back six hybrid. So that that whole thing was a little bit strange, and we'll get into that more, I'm sure. But I just think the U.S. in that 5-3-2 shape struggled to defend the wide areas because they're getting a pull, they're getting pulled apart in central midfield and then they're having to commit numbers there and there's extra space out wide for Canada who have genuinely dangerous wide players. Richie Larea is a dangerous dribbler going forward. Tejon Buchanan was maybe their most dangerous attacking player in this game, playing as a wingback, then switching sides and then playing further up the field later on in the second half. I think the U.S., if you think about that 5-3-2 shape and how it lines up naturally, there is just space outside of the central midfield three. There's those pockets of space. I talk about those all the time. And I think maybe if the U.S. are in a 5-4-1 or, or some shape that has natural wingers instead of that yep. two forward front, there's more cover out wide. And, it, and that was irrelevant when the U.S. pressed high up the field because it is a little bit more narrow and you're trying to funnel the ball wide and then win it in those outside traps. But back in their block, it just looked like the U.S. was never wholly comfortable with shifting side to side and, and figuring out how to deal with those overloads that Canada had. And I think they are a little bit fortunate that Canada wasn't able to turn those overloads into actual goals. So I sometimes think it like it helps to almost try to I, I know how bad this sounds, especially as a member of the media, but I try to create a narrative. Um, and here the way like the way it seems is like once you sort of put pieces together to me, you can tell a story. And then what I try to do when I rewatch is see if that story makes sense. And Joe, it, it almost just feels like the United States had a plan for when we go ahead and maybe that plan again. I'm not saying this is actually what happened, but like I could see this making sense of like if and when we go ahead in the second half, in the 55th minute or the 60th minute, then we have the kind of pre-planned instructions for how to, to sit a little bit deeper and play deeper when we're trying to see out that lead. And then the U.S. scored in the first minute, and it was almost like that change auto input. And then it was like, okay, never mind, we're going to do that for the rest of the game. But to your point, like I, 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 I think I made a noise when you said a 5-4-1 would have worked here because it absolutely would have worked here, and it would have limited a lot of what Canada were trying to do. But because we have that kind of front-two partnership – it requires one of them to do something very different, which you can do, but it again means you're changing the entire game plan based on that first goal. I think trying to find the balance is what Berhalter was going for, but I think that didn't fully work. It didn't fully not work either, but I think that's that's so interesting and uh, not to say that there is some sort of software implementing the tactics in an in <laughs> auto-input, but that is sort of the way it seemed to me with that front two, that it was designed to do a lot more uh, then maybe we got to see it do because of that opening goal. And and because the U.S. did end up sitting deep so much, I think the front two, I, maybe I'm just retreading ground here, but I think the front two worked well in the press, and the U.S. were very good pressing in the early stages of this game. But as soon as you sit back, it looked like, oh, man, we're not really sure what to do in this instance. Mm-hmm. We're not really sure how to yeah. move side to side. Yeah. And so I think that was a little bit of a problem for the U.S. Another thing that factored into 
some of their defensive struggles, I think, was their play with the ball, particularly in the second half, and, and maybe at the end of the first half as well. But just in the second half, the U.S. comes out in the first possession that they have. Donovan Pines gets on the ball and leaves the entire rest of his outfield teammates and Matt Turner out to dry and gives the ball to Kyle Lahren, and Kyle Lahren gets a shot on goal. Then a little bit later, James Sands is on the ball, and he is trying to drive this team forward, and I think he's a little too aggressive, and he plays a forward ball that gets intercepted, yep. and Canada then have possession. Busio then has a breakaway on the left side, takes a heavy touch, loses the ball. It just, the U.S. couldn't find any rhythm in possession. So it wasn't even necessarily that they're trying to absorb pressure and then counter. I think they wanted to control the ball. They just couldn't. The play just wasn't good enough to actually put their foot on the ball, or maybe they lack that mindset to be able to calm things down and be patient. I think that's why Jackson Ewell comes in, Taylor, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I think yep. Jackson Ewell and Legette play that double pivot at the end of this game, and the shape changes because Baralter wants them to get their foot on the ball and wait, and it just it just didn't come together. It was too disjointed. So yeah, there were defensive issues, and, and all of that stuff is valid, but the possession side also factors into this after the first 30 minutes. I think that's, that's again, really interesting, Joe, because like, I almost think of it as following a recipe. And if you've made the recipe a couple different times, you have the familiarity. You know, like, okay, this is the preheat. This is uh, like how, how I need to cook this, and this is how I need to cook that. And you sort of get the rhythm down so then if you're going to improvise or change things up, you can do that because you have a foundation. But as soon as you're sort of running back and forth to read the recipe again and, oh, your computer logged out and you have to log back in and now <laughs> something's on fire, like if you don't have that same level of familiarity with the approach and with the recipe – it just becomes more haphazard. And then maybe something does burn. So now you've got to fix the thing that's burned while you're still trying to cook the other thing. And now that thing's, oh, wait, that's undercooked. And, like, you can see how the thing starts to kind of get a little bit unraveled. And I think that is kind of where we were here with the United States, that as things start to change, they deviate from the recipe. And it sounds minor, but if you expect to be in the right spot uh, to in your defensive position and sort of you get there, oh, you win the ball back and now you know how to build because you've practiced winning the ball back. So I'm in this space and then moving forward from this space. If you're 10 yards f- too far to the right and five yards further back, you're operating just from a different build space and that changes the way they're going to play. And I think too many of those adjustments and improvisations leads to a disjointed attacking play, which then doesn't let the U.S. get any sort of momentum. And I think we come back to that main point of a kind of loss of momentum and then the inability to wrestle it back. Can we can we shift maybe over to the positive side, Taylor? Yeah, I feel let's like do that. Yep. I feel like mm-hmm. that should be how we end out this quick take. Yeah, one buddy. thing Thank that you. Thank one you thing that, that I. <laughs> You're welcome. One thing that I really liked in this game, and he wasn't perfect, and, and he didn't play his role perfectly, but James Sands playing that hybrid role, I thought he was largely brilliant. And and he was a victim and a partial cause of some of the struggles in the second half. But in the first half, again, especially in that first 30 minutes of this game, he was everywhere defensively. He was helping clean up balls in the press. He was winning balls. After Donovan Pines comes in for Walker Zimmerman, when Walker Zimmerman goes down with that injury, they have a little miscue, Sands and Pines, but Sands is able to recover and win the ball back. And then his passing was good as well as that the base of the diamond in possession in that 4-4-2 diamond. I, I think... Even though this 3-5-2 slash 4-4-2 diamond shape is likely not something that we're going to see again, and I think I don't really want to see it again after how it went in this game. But either way, I think we learned that Sands is an effective part of this team. And I'm not pushing all my chips into that basket, onto that poker table, whatever, just yet. But he he was an effective contributor and maybe the U.S.'s best player when they were at their best in this game. And I, I just I can't help but enjoy what I'm seeing from James Sands right now. 
I am, I am with you, my friend. Thank you for taking us positive. I would say I really liked pretty much everything I saw from James Sands, and I thought Anthony Robinson, excuse me, Miles Robinson, not Anthony Robinson, uh, Miles Robinson, I thought, especially after Zimmerman goes out and you have Pines come in, and it's clearly just a different unit without that same level of familiarity, I thought Robinson stepped up and did a good job of leading the line, but also making those sort of safety plays that you need yeah. to get that reassurance uh, like going. And I think the same thing for Matt Turner. We had another moment, not nearly as dramatic as the one against Haiti, but in the 90 plus fourth minute, uh, it's just, it's a shot from, I think, Cavallini that's through traffic. It's outside the box, but it's dipping. It bounces right in front of goal. And that's an easy one. If you see it late, if you're not tracking it the whole way, if you don't get your footing right, that you could parry instead of catching, you could knock it back into play or knock it up in the air. And maybe you knock it out of bounds for a corner, but it, it creates instability and it creates uncertainty. And in a lot of occasions, it creates another attacking chance. And here that Turner just holds that ball. Again, it's that level of calm that I think the U.S. really needed. So I had positives for Robinson and for Turner and for Sebastian Legette, who I thought hmm. was asked to do a lot given his sort of veteran status in this team. And I think he did a lot of it well. I think there's other stuff that he tried to do well, but maybe wasn't put in the best position. But I thought he's... Again, a performer who had a quietly good game that it's maybe easy to overlook. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Legette did a lot of things well. In that diamond midfield, in possession, did a lot of things well in the first 30 minutes. They had a natural overload over Canada. I think Canada came out in a 3-4-3 at the start of this game. And then they shifted a little yeah. bit once Osorio comes in for Iowa Canola. And it looks more like a 3-5-2 in moments. And other times Osorio floats higher. But they had an overload either way against two or against three in midfield. And Sands and, and Busio pushing up as the 10 and then Acosta as the right center mid and Legette as a left center mid. They had some lovely pieces of combination play. And even after the U.S. was flirting with sitting deeper and they were back deeper, they, they did still get forward a little bit in that first half once the tides had turned. And they put together some nice strings of possession, some nice movements with the ball. And I liked that look. And so part of me really wanted this 4-4-2 diamond to work in possession. And in some ways it did. I'm not saying it was all bad. But I, I liked it because of that midfield combination play. And I'm just I'm kind of bummed that that didn't turn into more high-quality attacking chances. All right, we are, we're, we're going long. We don't want to go too long with a quick take, hot take. Uh, but my final positive I wanted to say was just that the game itself, from the stands and atmosphere standpoint, you already talked about a little bit, Joe, I thought was really positive. It was, it was just like a good vibe. The noise was good. Every time the energy started to dip, I thought there was, like, the drums picked up, the cheering picked up. There's definitely, I think Holden commented that with Daryl DK out, the U.S. crowd was trying to be the, the 11th player. And I, and I just I enjoyed having a full stadium that also you didn't see the super drunk people in the stands. It was little kids waving flags and, and a bunch of people drumming. And it was just, I don't know, it was a good, I think, representation or sort of advert for U.S. soccer fans. Uh, at a time when there aren't always adverts for uh, great fans around the world, I was, uh, I was enjoying that one for sure. And Graham texted in our, in our group chat, you, me, mm -hmm. Taylor, you, me, Graham, and then Ryan Bailey, Graham texted and asked if Children's Mercy Park, the stadium that they're playing mm -hmm. this game tonight, is the new Matt Free Stadium, is the new old stadium in Columbus, right, where the U.S. has their important games. And I don't, I, I don't think we know the answer to that yet, but you texted back, I'd be okay if it were, right? And I, I yeah. totally agree with you. The crowd in this game was rocking, and I love hearing them chant Busio, even if he didn't have the best game tonight or this mm -hmm. afternoon, whatever. But yeah, I mean, great, great job to the people that went to that game and actually cheered this, the, this U.S. team on. I thought it came across really well on TV.
As did I. All right, my friend. Uh, I think that's enough for this one. We're going to go rewatch. We're going to get some more collected thoughts together. Be less emotional and more <laughs> rational and reasoned. Uh, that's, that's certainly our style. But for now, Joe, thank you very much for taking the time to do some quick take hot taking with me. You got it, Taylor. All right, listeners, we'll talk to you all very, very soon.